Hello everyone, and welcome to this episode of Project Shadow. My name is Charlie. You might know me better as sci-fi fantasy writer C.E. Dorset. And today, like every Monday, we're talking about last week's episode of Star Trek Discovery. That being episode number seven, Light and Shadows. Before we get started, a little bit of news. Star Trek Discovery was renewed for a third season last week, which was hilarious. It was really funny because there were so many people that had written and ran with rumors that Discovery had been canceled that quickly had to backtrack on that. And that's why I don't do rumors on the show, because you never know if they're real or not. But yeah, we're getting a third season. I feel a lot better about that <clears throat> after season three than I did after season one. Season one, I don't think was as bad as a lot of people say that it was. Season two, though, mm, has been a lot better. And this is a very good example of that. Light and Shadows is an episode that there's not really a lot you can say about it without... Going into spoiler territory, we get more Stamets Tilly time, we get uh, some Pike Tyler time, which we'll talk about in spoilers, and, well, Michael Burnham goes back to Vulcan to find her brother. I almost feel like I should have done the da -na 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 -na. but yeah. So yeah, I don't. Other than I really enjoyed this episode, I don't think there's much I can say that doesn't get into spoiler territory. So let's just go there. Spoilers are incoming in five, four, three, two, one, zero. I really like this episode. I think the acting was all on point. I think the characterization actually kind of worked, with one exception that we will talk about, because <clears throat> the lack of them doing an ensemble cast for the season, I th feel like is about to bite them in the butt. Though they're getting better at doing the ensemble episodes, and the excuse of Captain Pike is kind of okay that they're using him for that, but, uh, eh, well, we'll have to talk about that. Anson Mount does so good as Christopher Pike, and <clears throat> I, I, I do still expect him to be severely injured by the end of the season, explaining why he ended up in the wheelchair when we meet him in the original series. And that's sad, but I am enjoying the time we're getting to spend with him. Having said that, James Frain reprises his role as Sarek in this episode. 
And I rather like Hiseric. I was really shaky on him in the first season. We haven't gotten as much Seric as we did in season one. I liked Hiseric. I feel like one of the things that they're doing with this season is uh, problematic prequel stuff. In that when we meet Seric in Journey to Babel, we know that he and Spock haven't talked for quite some time over some disagreement that they had. We don't know what that disagreement was. The assumption has always been that it's because Spock decided to join Starfleet. Season one of Discovery kind of hinted at that more strongly and gave some backstory to that resentment. And if you didn't watch season one, basically, Sarek had engineered where he could give a free pass to one of his kids to the Vulcan Science Academy. Michael Burnham really wanted it, and he basically had them pass on Burnham so that he could get Spock in. And then Spock said no. So that does set that up in an interesting way. Uh, it looks like they're doing a deeper dive into the relationship between Sarek and Spock, which I'm okay with. That I'd, I'd be fine with that. And I'm curious to see how that ends up working out. Maya Kirshner replies, rep, <laughs> replies, reprises her role as Amanda Grayson in this episode. I, I have nothing but good things to say. I'm really intrigued by their portrayal of Amanda. I like that they are giving Amanda agency in a way that she didn't really have in the original season. The original series, though, granted, we only really saw her for one episode. And in that episode, she was essentially the dutiful wife. Mm. I like that they're giving more shades to her character and showing her relationship to Sarek. I, I'm fine with that. I really like that. Uh, Tyler. Okay. I didn't know when I was going to talk about this, but I, I think I'm going to get this out of the way. In their attempt to reboot the rebootiness that is the reboot of Season 2 of Star Trek Discovery, um, they're trying really hard to give Tyler a reason to exist. Really hard. And I like the fact that Pike is very straight with him that, look, you murdered someone on this ship. And we don't really care if you made some kind of a deal with Starfleet. You murdered somebody who is kind of back, but completely not touched on in this episode. We didn't see Hugh at all. But Dr. Colber, mm. but yeah, it, it, it's so hard for me to have Ash Tyler still on the show because they really want him to be a sympathetic character. They're trying so hard to make him into a sympathetic character. But the problem is, at least for me, they haven't given me any reason to care about him. He was a religious fanatic who, in his zealotry, underwent a very risky and painful procedure to make him look human. 
And then when his conditioning wore off, he became a homicidal maniac. And then when that wore off, he became, I don't know, emo dude number three. They haven't given him a character. There's nothing to hold on to with him other than, oh, yes, you you have this tragic backstory that you gave yourself. Ash is not a victim of circumstances that were beyond his control. He was a religious fanatic who chose the procedure that was done on him. That had the consequence of, you know, alienating him from his own culture, where Laurel agrees to, you know, fake his death and have him run off into the world. So he lost the person that he loved, which, of course, now we're getting mixed signals. Is the love of his life Laurel, or is it Burnham? And I don't care. I, I don't care. Because there's nothing to hold on to with him. He hasn't shown remorse in any way. Because he constantly goes back to this whole thing that it's Vogue. It's Vogue. It wasn't me that did it. It was Vogue. And okay, I'm willing to go with you that you have this kind of weird split personality thing because of the procedure that you chose to have done to you because you're a religious fanatic who wanted to destroy the Federation. But... That's not taking responsibility for your actions. So, if with without having any sense of remorse on his part, without having him actually deal with the repercussions of what he's doing, because he anytime he gets brought up, he just makes this excuse. Well, that wasn't me. That was Voke, and that's nice, and that might even be technically true. But since your characterization has just been, I'm that poor exile that has been forced to leave my homeland because of decisions that I made, eh, you don't get sympathy because you made a really horrible decision. Now, if you make a really horrible decision and in some way atone for that, or at least try to make up for that, or... As Philip, Philippa Giorgio did, just double down on it. Look, she's a conniving monster, but she at least knows what she is, and she just leans in. The same thing with, you know, Fenton Hardcourt Mud. They know who they are. They're not good people. And they just lean into it. So you can at least respect them for what they are. You know what I'm saying? Because they're being honest with themselves. He's not... And in this episode, his holier-than-thou attitude with Pike, that Pike is just putting himself in danger because he missed out on the war, because they were off on a deep space exploration mission at the time, and so he's exposing himself to danger as a way of atoning for not having been there during the war, even though Pike agrees with him at the end of the episode and says, yeah, that's why I did that. It doesn't make up 
for his holier-than-thou attitude because, yeah, Pike may be damaged because so many of his friends and colleagues died during the war and he wasn't there to help. But you can see how that's upsetting him. That's tearing him apart. And yes, he is trying to make amends for that. He sees that as a flaw in himself. We're not getting that same thing from Tyler. We're just getting this... Well, you're just, I, I know more, I'm better than you, meh. Which isn't endearing me to him at all. Having said that, his experiences with Captain Pike in this episode, they were fine. Pike is wonderful, and, you know, Anson Mount is just wonderful, but it doesn't make up for any of the problems. Now, Stamets, on the other hand, I, I I really like what they did with him, and we might talk about him a little bit more in a minute, but they're giving a lot of screen time to Ash Tyler, and I don't have anything against the actor. I think the actor is doing the best with the material that he has because he has a character that doesn't have characterization. But... If you're going to give Tyler this much screen time and either spin him off into the new Section 31 show or, as I'm really starting to believe, he's going to either sacrifice himself at some point in the series in some kind of a grand gesture to atone for what he's doing. I almost feel like they're setting up something bad's going to happen and it's almost going to kill Culver, but he's going to sacrifice himself and have a hero moment or something. Mm. It doesn't make up for it. And at the same time, if, please, don't have Captain Pike rescue Tyler and that be why he's in the wheelchair when we meet him in the menagerie. I mean, it's just, I don't see where they're going with this character. And that's problematic, at least with Tilly, Stamets, Pike, even Spock, and Sarek. You can kind of see the path that they put out before them, the arc that they put out before them. And as such, you get at least a uh, rough idea of where they're heading and what they're wanting to do. But... I don't know, Tyler is still such a blank slate that they're not adding anything to it. They're just having him be there. He's a place filler. You could replace him with virtually any other character from any time in all of Star Trek history and you wouldn't notice a difference. And that's just not good. Having said all of that, I did really like this episode. I am feeling more and more and more that the Red Angel is going to be related to V'ger in some way, another story element that never got played out. I would be really excited if they brought in the All, um, which was actually... Okay, before there was Star Trek The Motion Picture, Gene Roddenberry was brought back to do Star Trek Phase Two, And it's a very different... Star Trek than you might be thinking about. And we know that a lot of concepts from Phase 2 were brought into the show. 
Um, the Shinjo, for example, was the Enterprise, the original concept art for the Enterprise in Phase 2. So with that, we know that they were at least looking at Phase 2 stuff when they were putting this together. I, I honestly wish if they had taken anything from Phase 2, they would have taken the uh, Katumba plot and done that with the Klingons, because that is an amazing story that never happened, and really would have been a neat and interesting thing to say, and who knows, maybe they'll cannibalize it and use it at some point, but Laurel is not the Katumba, but I'm not... <laughs> If you want me to do do an episode on that story, I will. I'm not going to go into a lot of detail on it because it's a unproduced Star Trek idea. But in Phase Two, which was kind of broken up, and parts of Phase Two ended up becoming Star Trek: The Motion Picture, and the other parts of Phase Two became the Next Generation. Um, in the original pilot script for Star Trek Phase 2, they were going to meet a alien called Nyssa. And to make this simple for everybody, Nyssa became V'ger. And it's the same idea as V'ger. With one major exception. Well, two. Um, Leonard Nimoy had refused to come back for the TV series. And so he was going to be replaced by a Vulcan named Zahn. And... That goes away. Though I can see a lot of Zahn in Data. Again, how the, the idea got reworked. Um, but the idea w with Nyssa, or V'ger, was that it was going to lead into one of the big, an big antagonists that we were going to be meeting repeatedly. And in the Phase 2 materials, this was an entity known as the All. Now, the All would kind of be repurposed into the Borg in Star Trek The Next Generation. But initially, the All was kind of a techno-nanite swarm that would invade and make a collective consciousness out of every one and thing that it became a part of. And Voyager encountered the one and it rebuilt it and sent it home and that was our introduction to them later Kirk and Spock were going to actually encounter I'm sorry Kirk and Zahn and Decker were going to encounter the all the one and it was going to be the big bad one of the big bads if not the big bad of Star Trek phase two because Phase 2 never happened, and not all of the ideas in Phase 2 were picked up on, and the fact that the next, and when the next generation came about, it was pushed so far into the future, many of the ideas were changed and revamped. So one of the holes that this left in the Star Trek universe is what rebuilt V'ger. I believe there have been some novels and some fan theories about that, but I don't know of anywhere in canon where they ever explained it entirely. Given the fact that the probe goes into the time thing, the time rift, and comes back 
as kind of a sentient machine, or at least a uh, purposeful machine. We can go at least that far. I'm wondering if we're seeing hints of the all and the one, the, the big bad that was supposed to be in phase two. If so, then what they're trying to do is go, no, look, 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 we are living up to Star Trek, you know, Gene Roddenberry's ideas by actually utilizing one of the ideas that was not used in phase two. I'm not against that if that's what ends up happening, but I'm not a hundred percent that that's where they're going, but Given that the probe was completely redesigned and came back as a living creature, and the virus that gets into Lieutenant Commander um, Arium at the end of the episode, that leads me to believe that that's the path that they're going. And if so, that could be very interesting. We'll have to see. The fact that they put a temporal thing on it gets weird for me, but we'll have to see what they do with that. Um, it, it's, it's something that I've been thinking about a lot. Now, since I brought up Lieutenant Commander Arian, Arium, this is going to be a problem. This is one of the things that the show has kind of shot itself in the foot over because it decided for such a long time not to be an ensemble show. And to keep itself focused on Burnham as the protagonist and have everybody else be minor characters around them. We know nothing about her or it or they. I don't know. I don't even know the proper pronoun to use for Arium. And that's a problem. Arium appears to be either a robot or at least a cyborg or cybernetically enhanced person of some sort. And yes, this may be an interesting way for us to get to know the character or just to kill the character off. I I don't know. But I have a feeling that part of the next episode, we're going to see, you know, Lieutenant Commander Arium acting out of sorts, outing out of acting out of context, and we don't have a baseline context for how the character should act, react, and respond to things. So since we don't know the character, it it it's going to make the story really hard. It's kind of like um, in the episode I think it was the Schizoid Man of TNG, we'd gotten to know Lieutenant Commander Data. I think he was still Lieutenant Data at the time. I'm not sure. But we got to know Data fairly well before that episode happened. So when a foreign conscience, consciousness was downloaded into his body, we could tell very easily in the way that he walked, the way he carried himself, and his facial expressions that something was wrong before it was revealed that something was wrong because we knew Data. We don't know Arium So we're not going to be able to have access to any of those gut intuitions, which is why they had to flat out show us her eyes glow red or their eyes. I don't know. Um, Arium's eyes glowed red. Yeah. We'll, We'll have to see how that works. And of course, the fact that we're going to... Talos in the next episode, we'll have to see how that works out as well. 
So I'm curious. I, I do actually kind of like the reconstruction of the aliens that they showed in the teaser for the next episode, but we'll have to talk about that more when, you know, next week when the new episode comes out. Now, this was the first time that we got to spend any time with Spock. And it's problematic because, you know, we don't have access to Spock outside of his uh, weird mental bubble that we find him in, which is the whole point and purpose of the character. So, you know, since they haven't given us anything else to go on, I have to be very careful in how I'm saying this because I may be proven wrong in future. But if you don't know, Spock is being played by Ethan Peck, who is the grandson of Gregory Peck. In fact, Ethan's middle name is Gregory. And he is doing a very interesting Spock impression, kind of. Um, and I have to say it that way because I'm not used to his normal voice, so I'm not sure how far off from his normal voice his characterization is. But he's doing something that Leonard Nimoy did rather well, and I think Zachary Quinto did not do as well, and that is playing the subtext without emotion that you kind of have to do for somebody like Spock. And though Spock is in a messed up mental state when we encounter him, I I liked the way he played him. I, I liked how that worked. And I'm curious to see how that plays out. The drama between um, Sarek and Amanda and Michael, that worked really well for me. I like that they thought that they were being clever, and of course, Sarek was smarter than them and figured out what they were doing, which he should have done. I do like that Spock was making literary references to try to explain what was going on in his mind, because this, again, is something we see in the core character of Spock. So that does make sense for me. I do feel that we are going to you know, the whole purpose of this season is to explain the menagerie. And I believe that more and more with every passing episode. It doesn't have to be that way. You can do a story that takes place prior to another story and not have it be a prequel, especially since you're dealing with characters that we don't meet again in the series. So you can kind of do many things with them that doesn't affect continuity I think they're trying to get a lot more fan love by bringing Spock and Sarek and Amanda into it. I think that's why that they grafted Michael Burnham into Sarek's family and Spock's family. And also giving us Christopher Pike and eventually number one. Um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm kind of all right with that. But I think that's also where they're getting a lot of criticism because... You know, we are seeing a side of Spock that we never really saw on the original series, in the movies, and what have you. Now, having said that, I think the tone and tenor of much of Deep Space, uh, Deep Space Nine... Why do I keep doing that? Discovery. I just got used to that being the only D Star Trek series, I guess. Um, <laughs> most of Discovery 
has felt a lot more like the original series than any of the work that came after it. That is probably, again, one of the things that's been bothering a lot of people, because while it's shot different and light, the lighting is different, and the fact that it's decided to focus in on one character instead of an ensemble cast, Star Trek was rebooted with um, the movie, the motion picture, and a lot of those changes filtered through to the other subsequent series. So we have a lot more post-reboot, post-Gene Roddenberry's reboot of Star Trek than we do pre-that. Because we have the, you know, what is it, 73 episodes, 72 episodes of the original series. And then we have, you know, hundreds of episodes when you start tallying up 22 episodes a season, you know, seven seasons for TNG, seven seasons for Deep Space Nine. I think we got close to that for Voyager. I think we got seven for Voyager as well. And then, you know, Enterprise. We got used to the things that Gene Roddenberry brought to the reboot. And they are sticking much closer to the original series in some things. And yeah, they're taking some visual cues from the Kelvin movies just because that's what people are used to. All in all, this was a really good episode. I know I've complained about a lot of things in it, but I think they're the more interesting things to talk about instead of just going, I liked this, I like that. Um, definitely, I don't think you have to have seen any other episode of this season to enjoy this one. So if you've been skeptical... I really do feel like this one is one of the best episodes, especially of season two, that they have done. Um, New Eden probably being the second best episode. So if you're curious about getting into the series, I'd pick one of those as your starting point. If you enjoyed this episode and the app that you're listening to me on allows you to rate either this episode or the podcast in general, please do so. That helps out a great deal, especially if you're listening to me in either iTunes or Apple Podcasts, and I know some of you are. Um, if you um, have a buck that you can throw my way, down in the show notes, you'll see a link that says Anchor Community Support. If you click that, you can join the project at the $1, $5, or $10 levels. That money helps me do everything that I do, and helps me to have a much more reliable income than the sponsorships that, you know, we're paying for everything. Um, if you don't have the money, I completely understand that. Um, just think about sharing the podcast with people that you think would enjoy it. That helps out a lot too. Let's see. If you want to connect with me online, easiest place to do that is on Twitter. I'm C.E. Dorson on Twitter. If you go over to projectshadow.com, you can find links to everything that I do there. I am still working on the audiobook for Crucify My Love, and I'm working on a new audio series that I will be talking about more as I get closer to it. Though, like with some of the episodes I did last week, I might do some, like, what I'm working on and where my head is episodes, if you all want that. Yeah, that's about it. Until next time, don't forget, have the fun. Bye.